Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you to Grace Crossing Church for the launch of our brand new series uh, entitled One. Last weekend, we teed up this series, um, and Pastor Life and Taurus James actually tag team shared Uh, to uh, give us an insight into what oneness looks like when it's celebrated and lived out in the context of relationship. That it brings hope and it brings power when the Spirit of Jesus leads us to a place to move toward one another and not away from one another. It was a beautiful and inspiring message and conversation. If you were not here last weekend to hear it, I would urge you to go to our podcast and listen to it. Now this morning, as we launch into this series, Juan, I want to begin with a a few comments by way of introduction. So this is um, the first of two fall growth series for us here at Grace Crossing Church, which means we're asking our connection groups to join us as part of their group to have conversation around what we're talking about here on Sunday mornings. And so there is a a book that uh, we're using Uh, entitled Oneness Embraced. So all of our connection groups are going to be using a companion video by the author, Dr. Tony Evans, and they're going to be really unpacking the content of that video and of this book. Now, our staff team has been going through this together for a number of months. We've asked all of our leaders to read this book, and I can tell you that if for some reason you're not able to be in a connection group, I would urge you to get a copy of this and to read it on your own as we're going through this series because it is really an insightful and yet very challenging read. Well, a number of months back, I actually, in a staff meeting, handed a 3 by 5 index card to every one of our staff team members, and I asked them to write on the card two words. I asked them to write the word hope and the word fear. And then here was my... Um, challenge that I gave them by way of reflection. As we move into this series here in the fall, one, what is your greatest hope for oneness and what is your greatest fear? This topic has a way of producing both hope and fear. And so this was mine I'd like to share with you this morning. My hope is that Grace Crossing Church would fully align with God's heart When it comes to diverse unity, and my fear, that we would limit God by seeing oneness as a black and white issue to the exclusion of all ethnicities. The second thing I want to share with you, as before we dive into this morning's topic, is Somewhere along the line in this series, you are going to be uncomfortable. may happen this morning. And you say, Pastor Gil, I don't like being uncomfortable. Well, here's the reality. Jesus did not die for our comfort. Jesus did not hang on a tree so that he could remove all discomfort from our lives. In fact, here's what I've learned. I've learned that when I'm not uncomfortable, I'm not growing. Because growth always moves me outside of a zone that challenges my comfort. And if I'm going to grow, I've got to be willing to, at times, be a little bit 
uncomfortable. So I've been having some lower back issues, and I've never been really good at stretching, but I have committed myself to doing what I hate most, stretching, especially my hamstrings. I have hamstrings that are so locked that it's so hard for me to stretch out, and yet I'm, I'm already beginning to realize that what is very uncomfortable for me is actually already providing some incredible benefit to my life. So at some point, you'll be uncomfortable. Trust the Lord with that. Third thing I want to say is that we're going to begin each week's talk with a couple of moments of silence. We learned in our Emotionally Healthy Spirituality series, we did What Lies Beneath last fall, that one of the things that all of us need to learn to do in our life, especially in our world today, is we need to practice often silence and stillness. We're not good at slowing down. We're not good at shutting off the noise. We're not good at letting our heart be still before God, but that's exactly where the Lord wants us to be. So we're going to begin every week with an opportunity for a couple of moments of stillness and silence, and then we're going to end each week with a challenge that is intended to drive the idea of oneness deeper into the core of our lives so that it can be driven deeper into the core of the life of Grace Crossing Church. So if you'll just bow your head, I'm going to just take a few moments here and we're going to just quiet our hearts before the Lord. We're going to invite God in and we're going to invite God to speak to us today. Now I want you to picture yourself walking into a room for a meeting. And in the room, there are only two tables. The one table is filled with unfamiliar people who share your ethnicity. At the other table, it is filled with people from a different ethnicity who perhaps are even speaking a language that is unfamiliar to you. To which table do you feel yourself instinctively drawn? When we find ourselves in those situations, our minds typically grow through a line of logic that sounds something like this. Because those people don't look like me, I will have very little in common or nothing in common with them. I won't fit in. I may not even understand what they're talking about. They may not understand what I'm talking about. And so we will not be able to connect at any level. In fact, I'm not sure I would be accepted at that table, and I'm not sure I would be safe there. So I think I'll sit at the table of people who look most like me. The reason I know what the logic is like is because I've been in that room on more than one occasion, and I suspect some of you have as well. And here's the reality. When given the choice, we will naturally gravitate and move toward the familiar over diversity. 
we will naturally move toward comfort over oneness. Reality is, our tendency is to go to the direction that makes us feel the most safe. And when we're with people who don't look like us, talk like us, who don't live their lives in the, in the way that we have lived our lives, what our tendency is, is to categorize them as strangers and even at times as enemies. Now, we have several objectives that we hope to accomplish in this series on oneness. The first is that I, I pray that we will all gain a better and a clearer understanding of God's word, God's heart, and alignment to what God desires when it comes to oneness. The second thing that I desire and pray for in this series is that we will all take a posture of looking and listening and learning and loving when it comes to this area of oneness. Now let me just unpack those a little bit for us this morning. What is a posture of looking all about? Well, it is a posture that I think begins with looking inside. I think oneness starts with an assessment of our own heart and what's going on in our own lives. Psalm 139, the psalmist told us to pray this, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now there are two words that I would like us to lift out of those verses this morning. The first word is the word anxious. This topic is going to make us anxious. This topic is going to make us uncomfortable. And what we learned in our Emotionally Healthy Spirituality last fall, something that I've been journeying with for over a dozen years now, is learning how to pay attention to my emotions. And when it comes to anxiety, here's what I've learned. Anxiety is a secondary emotion. There is another emotion going on when we begin to feel anxious. Something else is happening and stirring in our hearts that God is trying to get our attention with, and God is trying to get us to slow down long enough to figure out what he's trying to say to us. So I would encourage us, when anxiety begins to trigger, slow down and invite God into that emotion and ask God, what is the story that my anxiety is beginning to tell me? The second word here is this word offensive. When all that you know about life is what's coming through your own worldview, when all you ever do is spend time with people who look like you, who think like you, who act like you, whose worldview is exactly like yours, here's the reality. You do not even realize when you're being offensive. We don't even realize when our sarcasm or our comments or our words can be degrading or devaluing or dehumanizing to another human being. And so we need to bring those things to God, and we also need to bring those things to God's family, to our brothers and sisters, to help us, to learn what things are offensive that God would want to help us with. 
So I encourage us to lean into this series with a posture of looking. Secondly, I encourage us to lean into this series with a posture of listening. It is one thing to listen to people who share your worldview. It is quite another thing to listen to people whose narrative includes experiences that I do not have. And listening to people whose narratives include experiences that I've never had help me to go to the next step. And that posture is a posture of learning. Now, it takes both honesty and humility to admit that you do not know what you do not know. So let me be the first. I do not know everything there is to know about oneness. There is much I still need to learn. There are ways that I am still ignorant to pressures and to experiences that other people have who are ethnic minorities that I have never experienced. And yet my heart is in a posture of wanting to look inside, wanting to listen, and wanting to learn. And I'd invite you to do the same. And here's the highest priority. The most important posture that all of us can take is a posture of loving. In fact, that is the highest goal of the Christian life, is loving well. And to love well, the Bible teaches, it is the single greatest apologetic which actually will let other people know that we are followers of Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that we cannot say we love God unless we love our brothers and sisters whom we see. And friends, that includes brothers and sisters who have differences from us. We must not just love people who are like us. We must also love the way Jesus loved. He tells us this, John's Gospel, chapter 13, verse 35. When you demonstrate the same love that I have for you by loving one another, everyone will know that you're my true followers. Here's what I love about that verse. You don't need a Christian t-shirt to let the world know you're a Christian. You don't have to put a bumper sticker on your car to say, I love Jesus. Yes, I made that mistake when I first came to Christ. Paid the price for it in my driving. You don't need to carry a big Bible in public just to let people know that you're a Christian. The Bible says that the greatest evidence is by our love. And when we love the way Jesus loved, when we love others, our brothers and sisters, the way Jesus loved us, Listen, the world knows. The world goes, there's something different about that person. There's something different about that church. That church is a loving church because it embraces every person regardless of who they are. Now that's the posture that God wants us to have. Because the most important thing about this series on oneness and the highest objective that we have is that we as a church will become more and more aligned with God's kingdom here on the earth. Our leadership is committed. 
We're committed to following Jesus and the Spirit of God wherever it leads us. And here's what I can tell you. This is what I can promise you, is that when you follow God's Spirit, God's Spirit will always move you closer to the kingdom of God and what the kingdom of God looks like. Our vision here at Grace Crossing Church is one that we are committed to. We believe God has asked us to make this our unique contribution to the work of God's kingdom here in this community and in this particular region, in this area and in the world, that we would be an emotionally healthy church filled with fully surrendered Christ followers whose hearts are set ablaze to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. That's ripped right out of Micah chapter 6, verse 8. If you open your U version this morning, or if you have it open right now as you're following along in our notes, you may notice that the verse of the day is Micah 6, 8. How affirming is that? Here's what it says. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Let me tell you, biblical oneness will always have the trademarks of justice, mercy, and humility. There'll be no denying that it's happening because justice and mercy and humility will be at the end of the spear driving it forward. If this is truly what God asks of us, if this is truly what God requires of us, if this is what God says, this is good for you, then that is what I want to become and it's what my prayer is that Grace Crossing Church will become. So with that in mind, I want to move us this morning into the topic of the day. What I want to talk about this morning is God's perspective on oneness. God's perspective on oneness. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 say this, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind, your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So Paul tells us that our minds must be set above the things of this world. My wife and I, on vacation a couple of weeks ago, did a first. Never done this before. Take a look in Destin, Florida. How many of you have ever parasailed? Can I see your hands? Oh, so you know the thrill of it. The rest of you, man, you are missing out. This is what's amazing. The rope is let out some 1,200 feet. You are given the opportunity to see things that you just simply cannot see from a horizontal plane. It's one thing to look at the ocean from the, from the sand. It's a completely another thing to look from above, see creatures moving. See activity, see buildings you could never see. And the most powerful thing about this is I actually talked my wife into joining me. Say hi, honey. Hi. We're soaring high. 
did this for you, my love. Yeah. <laughs> Enough said. How many of you think that Kelly's a good wife? She did it for me, right? She did it for me. Living the American dream. Listen, when it comes to oneness, we need more than an earthly perspective. We need a vantage point that we cannot get from our own natural eyes. We need supernatural eyes. We need to see and get a perspective of this issue that is seated far above, far beyond what we see here in our world today. And here's the cool part about it. When you get God's perspective on anything, you gain three things. You gain God's heart, you gain God's will, and you gain God's vision. When you get God's perspective, you gain God's heart, you gain God's will, and you gain God's vision. Now, there is no other place that I know that we can go to get God's perspective and so gain God's heart, God's will, and God's vision. There's no other place that I know where we can do that except God's word. The scripture is what gives us the perspective that God wants us to have about our earthly lives. It is the Bible that provides us both the motivation and the means for true oneness. We need God's word. We cannot legislate oneness into the human heart. It's impossible. The remedy to all of the racial inequality and injustice that we see in our world today is not going to come as a result of more government policies and more government regulations. Laws will not make a white supremacist more loving and less violent. It isn't going to happen. The only thing that can actually transform and change that is the movement of God inside the, the heart. So, so the remedy and the answer to oneness is not societal. It is theological. It is understanding God's heart, understanding God's will, and understanding God's vision for this topic. Now tragically, our history is littered with stories and events that actually created atrocities in the name of God. The Word of God at times has been weaponized. Our history shows us that there are people that have actually perverted the Word of God, perverted Scripture, in order to manipulate minds, to perpetuate prejudice, and to defend discrimination. In fact, sadly, our own history shows us that there are evils of slavery and oppression and segregation that were created as a result of taking God's word and manipulating it. So a number of months back, my wife and I had the privilege of being for a few days in Washington, D.C., and one of the museums we wanted to visit while we were there was the new African-American Museum of History and Culture. Now, we've been down to the Freedom Center here in Cincinnati. If you've never been, 
it is worth the visit. It will, it will sober you. It will sadden you. The one in Washington, D.C. is really even more profound. And when I was there, I saw a Bible and took a picture of it that I want to show you this morning. Here's what the Bible looked like. Parts of the Holy Bible selected for the use of the Negro slaves. The Bible actually had every part that spoke of freedom removed from it. The entire Exodus story of the Israelites who were delivered from slavery in Egypt and were taken out by God's great power and might, the entire narrative is removed from this Bible. It was sanitized for the purpose of evil atrocities to be done in the name of power and greed and wealth. It's a movie my wife and I saw a couple of years back. It's a true story. It illustrates exactly what we're talking about this morning. It's a story in a, a movie entitled 12 Years a Slave. How many of you happen to have seen the movie? This part is hard to watch. It's difficult to see. But this is what happened in the name of God. And that servant, which knew his Lord's will, which knew his Lord's will. And prepared not himself, prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. Did you hear that? Stripes. That obey his Lord. That's his master, do you see? That there shall be beaten with many stripes. Now many signifies a great many. Forty, a hundred, a hundred and fifty lashes. That's scripture. That is not Scripture. When I watch that, it makes me angry. It makes me sad. Because that's our history. And we must understand it. We must empathize with those who have been affected, whose families have been affected, whose experiences have been shaped by those stories. When we come to this topic of oneness, what we need is not just someone's translation of Scripture, someone's interpretation. What we need is we need an accurate, holistic, biblical appraisal. We need to see it as God sees it. We need to share it as God shares it. We need to come to the vision and to the heart and to the will of God the way that the Bible teaches it. And to do that, we're going to borrow from Stephen Covey's Habits of Highly Effective People. We're going to begin with the end in mind. We need to understand, first and foremost, God's vision, and then work backward to God's heart. Because the vision of God for oneness 
tells us the ultimate highest purpose that God sees. And have you ever wondered what is God's vision? Well, to find out God's vision, all you've got to do is go to what's taking place in his presence. Because there are things God will not allow in his presence. There are other things that God celebrates and that are being celebrated in the presence of God that God gives us just a little glimpse into. In fact, the book of Revelation, the last final book of the Bible, gives us a glimpse into what's happening in God's presence. As we're here on earth, have you ever wondered what's going on in heaven? You ever wonder what's taking place? Well, here's just a little glimpse. Revelation. Chapter 5, verse 9. They sang a new hymn. Worthy are you, Jesus, to receive the scroll, to break open its seals, for you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God those from every tribe and tongue, people and nation. This is a glimpse of what God treasures most because what's happening in the presence of God even as we speak is that there's celebration going on that includes the Bible says every tribe tongue people and nation it's powerful when the Bible here speaks of every tribe it is speaking of diversity of culture when it's talking about every tongue, it's talking about, and it's speaking of diverse languages. When the Bible here talks about every people, it's talking about diverse ethnicities. And the idea here of nations is geographical diversity. Just think about that. There are people from every tribe, every culture, from every tongue, every language, from every people, every ethnicity, and from every nation all over the globe that are celebrating God's redemption that he provided through Jesus Christ. Now listen, diversity may not be biologically in you, but it is spiritually in us. Diversity is in our spiritual DNA. God actually has created us to be part of something that is so much bigger and so much more diverse than what we look like, what we sound like, where we come from, and what we've experienced in life. I've often wondered when I've read this this verse, I've often wondered how many people are going to get to heaven and be really, really uncomfortable with what they hear, what they see, and what they experience. See, if we can't move toward oneness here on earth, how in the world will we ever be able to do it in heaven the way God desires? And that's why Jesus actually brings us to God's will. Because if this is the vision, and by the way, to punctuate this, this ethos composite appears a half a dozen times in the book of Revelation. Just to make the point 
that it's going to include people from every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation. Jesus tells us that the things that God values most in heaven are the things that we should be praying about here on earth. In fact, the very first thing Jesus told us to pray about when his disciples come and say, teach us how to pray, he actually begins with this in Matthew Gospel chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. Notice where our minds are to be seated when we pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now notice this, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. You have likely prayed that prayer a lot of times in your life. You have likely recited that prayer on more than one occasion. Here's my question. Have you ever stopped to wonder what it is we're to be praying for? What is it God had in mind? What is it Jesus intended when he said, Our Father in heaven, may your kingdom come here on the earth just as it is in heaven. So what is God's will is the question. God's will is God's vision expressed and experienced on earth exactly like it is in heaven. We know that we are aligned with God's will when we are praying that what we experience and what we see here on the earth will be exactly like it is in heaven. So Jesus knew that this was not humanly possible. Jesus knew that we would never be able to achieve true oneness without a tremendous amount of dependence on him and prayer. We will not achieve oneness any more than we can forgive without God's help. Because in the same passage of prayer, he teaches us to forgive those who have sinned against us, even as you, God, have forgiven us. Now, have you ever tried to do that without God's help? Forgiveness is impossible without God's help. But when God's help comes alongside of us, when we pray about that, God somehow shows up and helps us to forgive. When we pray about oneness, God comes along as our helper. He all of a sudden says, I'm an advocate for this. I'm fighting for this with you. I want to see this take place. Not just in you personally, but in my church. I said it earlier, but our tendency is never to move toward the unfamiliar. It's always to move toward the familiar. It's never to move toward uncomfortable. It's always to move toward comfortable. And the truth is, the same holds true for the church. What was normal in the early church has become nominal in the modern church. It's become optional. What God's heart was for his church from the very beginning is that the church would be a reflection of heaven here on earth. That's been my prayer for Grace Crossing Church 
from the beginning is that we could somehow move with God's help to a place that would be a reflection of heaven here on earth. A number of months back, I had the privilege of speaking at my pastor's friend church, Aman Kajabika. He pastors an African congregation here in our community. It was a wonderful service, but what struck me was as I was leaving the service that day, something really made me sad. Because where the church was meeting, there are three buildings on the property. One building has an African church that I was at. Another building has a Korean church. And another building has a predominantly North American church. White church. And at the end of the service, as we move toward the parking lot, people are funneling out of all three churches with little to no interaction with one another, moving to their cars and going on with their lives. Listen, that is not the way God intended it from the beginning. The way God intended it from the beginning is that we would be together as one. I know that sounds like a pipe dream. I know that sounds like something that we could think that could never happen here on the earth. But friends, it's what God envisions. And it's why he tells us to pray, your will be done here on earth, just as it is in heaven. God has a vision. His vision is to be realized as we depend on God through prayer and believe that God will help us. And why? What's, what's the reason? So that we can reach God's ultimate heart. And we're going to pick this up more next week and the weeks to come. But let me just suffice to say that God's heart is one thing. God's heart, when it comes to oneness, is unity. It's unity. Now, last weekend, Pastor Life shared the first couple of verses out of John chapter 17 when Jesus prayed in the garden before he was going to give his life for us. I want to look at the, the, the final two verses of John 17, verses 22 and 23, which say this, I have given them the glory that you gave me. Let me just pause there. What is the glory that Jesus is talking about here? He said, I've given them the same glory that you've given me. He actually tells us what it is. He says that they may be one as we are one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in complete diversity and yet unity. He says, I and them, you and me, and here's the purpose. When you read the word so that, it always means purpose. So that they may be brought to complete unity. Now the question is, what is complete unity? I believe when you look at the scripture in its totality, it is diverse unity. It's not just unity. It's diverse unity. And he goes on to say this, Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. If in this auditorium this morning we had set up 100 pianos, different makers, different models of pianos, 
And we said to those pianos, we want to get every single one of those pianos in perfect harmony with one another. There's only one way you could do that. If those pianos tried to attune to the piano next to it, they would never achieve perfect harmony, perfect pitch. The only way for all 100 of those pianos to be perfectly attuned to one another is to be attuned to the same tuning fork. And when every one of those pianos are attuned to the exact same tuning fork, they now are experiencing perfect harmony, perfect togetherness, perfect pitch. The objective of oneness is not simply that we will move toward one another. It is that we will also, first and foremost, move toward God in oneness and in unity. Because our value of oneness in Christ actually begins with oneness with Christ. You cannot move toward God without moving toward one another. We cannot move in harmony toward God and be attuned to God's heart without also becoming attuned to our brothers and sisters, even those who are unlike us. And here is my conviction. This is what I believe the scripture teaches. Unity gets God's blessing. But according to this scripture, Diverse unity gets God's blessing and the world's attention. The world begins to look and say, who does that? Who acts like that? Who accepts one another like they do? The Bible says, then the world, when we're brought to complete unity, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as I have loved you and you have loved me. Let me tell you, friends, unity is easy with people who share your skin color. Unity is easy with people who share your experiences. Unity is easy with people who talk your language. Unity is easy with people who share your political persuasion. It is easy with people who have your worldview. Diverse unity is something altogether different. It is about becoming harmonized with God's heart so that we then become harmonized with one another's heart. We become connected. We become bound to one another. We link arms like Life and Taurus did last week. And we say we are in this thing together. That can only happen with God's help. And so as I close this morning, here's my challenge. Second Chronicles Chapter 7, verse 14 says this. If my people, if my people who belong to me humble themselves, pray, seek to please me, and repudiate their sinful practices. Repudiate simply means disavow or disassociate from. Then I will respond from heaven. Forgive their sin. Heal their land. How many of you believe that America needs God's healing? There's only one way it will happen. When those who belong to God humble themselves, seek to please Him, turn from every way that's not like Him, and actually begin to pray, 
and trust him, then God does what only God can do. Here's my challenge. I want you to take your mobile phone, your mobile device, and I'm going to ask you, preferably, to set up an alarm on your phone for 714. Either in 714 a.m., 714 p.m., or both. I've done both. And I'm going to invite you to join me that in the next 40 days, as we are praying and we are trusting the Lord in this area of oneness, that at 7.14 every morning, 7.14 every evening, we are going to be praying together for God's vision, God's will, and God's heart in this area of oneness. I want you just to think about the power that will come from that simple act of unity when we begin to do it together. I want you to stand with me this morning as we pray. Let's bow our heads together. Father, we humbly offer to you our lives. We humbly offer to you your church. I submit to you, God, the, the thoughts on uh, this talk today. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, the thoughts of my mind, have been pleasing and acceptable to you. I ask that you'll move us forward together so that we don't just experience unity with people like us, but we can learn to experience diverse unity that gets your blessing and gets the world's attention so that many can be drawn to you. I submit and I surrender myself first and foremost. And then on behalf of our congregation, I pray collectively that God, 2 Chronicles 7.14 will become our prayer over these next 40 days together. And that we would actually begin to live this and present it to you and present our lives to you. We need you, God. We're desperate for you. And so take, I pray, these thoughts today and help them to begin to transform us to be more like you, Jesus. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. God bless you and God bless all of those who are jumping into one of our connection groups this week. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.